0: Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Daniel Olson, a grower and dairyman from Lena, Wisconsin. Daniel will be one of our speakers for the upcoming Spring 2021 National Cover Crop Summit. Today, he'll be discussing his transition to cover crops and how he uses them on his operation. Welcome to the podcast, Daniel.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Sarah.
0: So... Let's go ahead and and dive right in. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, so I'm a a seventh generation uh, dairy farmer uh, from Northeastern Wisconsin. Uh, We're currently milking on a a couple different uh, locations here just north of Green Bay. Uh, And then we also uh, do a lot of forage research and and do consulting work for, for dairy farmers all over the country. So definitely, I uh, have a lot of interest in cover crops and alternative forages and and how they work in in animal situations with for animal feed.
0: Perfect. Well, um, tell us a little bit about your farming operation. Um, how long have you all been dairying? You mentioned that you're an eighth generation farmer. That's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. So. Um, the original home home farm we there's been old since here since the 1800s uh so we're milking on two locations right now uh and uh we farm something like 1200 acres primarily uh primarily forages we do a little bit of grain production uh just for the dairy but uh primarily forage rotations and uh you know corn and and cover crops The home dairy is a more of a grazing based uh, type dairy, and the new farm we call it, which is a uh, is more of a research farm. So we uh, can do uh, nutrition research and other things there if we want to. Um, but it's kind of an important part of our other the consulting work and other things we do. So we needed a place where we could kind of work on unique ideas, and we have uh, almost 200 cows there. I
0: okay so between the two operations how many acres are you are you talking
1: yeah about 1200 or so um and then we do some other you know we might we we do some haying and things that are for just cash cropping uh that that we have some land farther away but with these dairies uh, we use about 1200 acres uh primarily for the for the dairies uh, and then we also do some heifer raising and and have some other uh kind of side ventures here and then of course the the research plots and stuff take quite a bit of quite a bit of time in the summer to just data collection and and that kind of thing
0: absolutely so do you milk holsteins or um other breeds of dairy animals or or is it just the black and whites
1: yeah Um, well, a little bit of everything. So the, the home dairy uh, is primarily crossbred. So we do have some Holstein influence uh, uh, and Jersey, but using a lot more heavy breeds right now. So uh, a lot more, a lot of fleck fee um, uh, into those crosses. Uh, at the new dairy, it's been uh, primarily uh, purebred registered Holsteins and Jerseys. Uh, like I said, one of the, the things I was interested in was, was having groups of animals that were maybe more representative of of what uh, some of my the dairies that I work with were using. So, uh, But we have recently uh, added some more crossbreds too. Um, and so we, we are gonna have more of like a pro cross group uh, of animals there as well, that see how they adapt to different forage systems.
0: Okay, so talk us through how long you've been using cover crops what convinced you to get started trying covers
1: so you know there's certainly uh you know there's certainly soil health benefits uh, one of the things that we struggle with in our part of the state is water infiltration uh, drainage uh it, a challenge and and we farm a lot of land that isn't piled and, and has some challenges with with uh, too much water or just a lack of of drainage and we felt that cover crops could really help us in that part of it uh, in and we started really noticing differences there in soil texture and and health but probably more than anything because we have a lot of cattle was we were looking for cover crops and that would help uh, add tonnage and add value things that we could actually feed thankfully a lot of the cover crops the things that we use um like winter small grains or or uh full season annuals and, and cocktail mixes and things a lot of those things make excellent dairy quality feed especially if you you know do a good job with variety and selection so it was a way for us not only to improve a lot of our you know soil health and and some of the other things that that we had prioritized but it also allowed us to create and grow a lot of good you know dairy quality feed on our farm so those two elements really drove us there we've been doing cover crops on some level I mean for probably uh, about 12 years now you know we started with um, doing some interseeding of legumes and things into corn um, and winter small grains like cereal rye and triticale Uh, but we've moved to tightening up and and making our rotations look a lot different and so we're able to get more full season covers growing in between uh, years of corn and so our strategies have large have really evolved over time Uh, in our part of the state we have you know when you get into the Upper Midwest, we have limited growing days, and and one of the challenges that farmers face is is getting you know having windows to get those actually planted and have them do something. You know, so often our falls, by the time we get our corn harvested, especially for grain, uh, there's just not really a good opportunity to get something growing in the fall, and and so you know we've looked at ways to invert with interseeding and things, and uh, with really you know. I would say really mixed success. Um, But what we found is that by actually prioritizing the covers and and using them as part of a a rotation, uh, we're able to maximize the value of them. And so what we've done is is we've largely eliminated uh, perennial seedings on our farm. So most of our acres now are all in annuals. Um, you know, we went from 12 years ago where the whole farm was corn and alfalfa. We've largely eliminated the alfalfa component of that, and now what we do is 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 grow corn uh, followed by a winter small grain like like cereal rye or triticale, um, and then in the spring we will harvest that for forage and follow it with a four, full season uh, cocktail mix of you know of different components and we harvest that for forage multiple times so we're we're actually harvesting forage off these fields but we're getting all the soil health rotational benefits from it and then the following year we'll come right back into corn again and that rotation has has just really uh took a lot of the pressure off and uh, and the uncertainty of getting cover crops established but it's also allowed us to get a lot of uh, to harvest a lot of uh, high quality forage in that year between the corn years, we know that uh, that corn first year corn <laughs> is the most productive, easiest crop we grow on our farm. It's you know it's easy to make money growing first year corn following a cover crop, uh, and and on average, uh, I think first year corn yields something like fifteen percent more than all the other years combined. So, you know, if you're doing corn on corn for multiple years, um, it, it, there's something like a 15% yield drag, at least in our part of the country. And so, uh, you know, our first year corn, we have less insect pressure, less disease pressure, yet less nutrient needs, um, higher productivity. So all those things on first year corn that make it uh, kind of special, the challenge, uh, when we have the perennial uh, in our in our cropping system is that we have a limited amount of first-year corn. It's hard to make it. Um, and just throwing a winter small grain in between corn crops just isn't really enough to get that full benefit. And so what we've done, though, in our forage system now is we've created a, a system where all the corn on our farm, which is roughly half our acres every year, is first-year corn. And we've been able, and then in the off year, we're able to grow a full season forage cover crop mixes uh, and you know, grow a lot of that type of material in that off year.
0: So 12 years ago, when you started that uh, foray into cover crops, how long did it take you to make that transition? And and maybe talk us through some of the challenges that you've overcome uh, during that eight-year journey so far?
1: Yeah, so so the biggest, uh, you know, there certainly has been a learning curve with it. Uh, probably the biggest mistake that we've done uh, when we started with winter small grains was planting them too late in the fall. And when you get, especially triticale, it needs to be planted early in our part of the state you know it really needs to be in the ground by the middle of September if you're going to maximize forage production on it the next spring and too often our, our day lengths and our corn was too long or we didn't get it planted early enough or whatever happened we didn't get that triticale planted early enough in the fall and then we would end up with these really subpar yields in the spring and and I mean we still got some hover crop benefits from it but it a fairly expensive cover crop if you do it right and, and you don't actually get anything forage harvested off of it. Um, you know, we did a lot of interseeding into corn um, at different stages, trying to learn when it worked. You know, we used, uh, you know, tillage radishes and clovers and, and vetch and we've, uh, we've had some success, but not consistent success. You know, we, we we spread it on top of the ground with fertilizer. Um, and uh, if you didn't get a rain, it didn't germinate. Uh, we tried incorporating it by spreading in front of a cultivator. But if you got it too deep, it didn't come up. And so, you know, there's been a lot of uh, kind of a learning curve on that end. But when we finally, finally figured out that, you know, instead of trying all these different things with very limited degrees of success you know that the easiest kind of the low-hanging fruit was just to blow up our rotation and so instead of going four years corn and four years of a perennial when we decided well let's just blow it up and go one year corn one year cover crop annual mix one year corn um that was that was really eye-opening for us and and you know we've been able to increase our average yields on per acre by about 30% with that kind of rotation what we were working with before
0: wow that's pretty impressive we'll be right back to the podcast but first i want to thank our sponsor with a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930 yetter manufacturing company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands from many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs find solutions to your challenges today at Yetterco.com. that's y-e-t-t-e-r-c-o.com and now back to the podcast So um what would you say uh have been your goals for using cover crops, other than obviously forage um and maybe capturing some of those soil health benefits. Specifically, which ones uh have you been focusing on?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we are we are in a business, so of course our, our first thing is is it needs to cash flow. Uh it needs to be profitable um i mean i realize there's lots of different ways you can go with the whole soil health uh uh, journey you know some of the if you want to say regenerative egg people um, and and some of those are doing some really good work the problem with some of those systems is that uh they don't cash flow very well they're long-term investments into the soil that maybe don't um have short-term returns and in farming generally speaking farmers are just always kind of up against it we always got bills to pay we have and and so we end up um maybe shorting ourselves long term for short-term gains and so that's always kind of about our struggle you know you certainly want these long-term soil health benefits but short-term you still need to make money you still need to have feed for the cows you need to be able to make milk or meat or whatever and so when I'm looking at things now, I, I, first and foremost, it still needs to make money. And then secondarily, then we start, you know, looking at long-term benefits and, and investments into the soil and into our farm. Uh, but I think, I think more than anything, you know, we have to make sure we're still in business. You know, when you're a, a, a seventh or eighth generation farmer, there's, there's this, uh, I guess you call it generational pressure You know, if if your great grandpa made it through the Great Depression, well, um, what's wrong with you? (laughs) You know, Um, and so there's this kind of pressure that hey, if they all did it all these years, all the different challenges they faced, that you better be able to do it too. And and so I think you know we certainly want to look towards the future. I have a I have we have a large family coming on. I have some boys that are are interested in farming and things. So we. We certainly want to have a farm and soil that's that's good for them to to pick up and, and take on, but we have to get there first. And so, first and foremost, uh, they need to make money. They can't. We can't take a huge uh, penalty hit on yield and crops uh, productivity. And then, secondarily, we're looking at things like soil health, nutrient management with all with the manure um, that we generate on the farm, uh, and forage quality. Uh, you know how much, so we're looking at fiber digestibilities and and how do they work in the in our dairy rations.
0: So you mentioned that you you do seed perennial crops, cover crops. What species in particular do you use, and talk me through the timing of when and how you go about seeding those?
1: There's perennial forages. And those could be anything like, uh, you know, alfalfa or clovers or or perennial gra- cool season grasses like tall fescue or meadow fescue, orchard grass, festololium. And I still have a few fields. We still have some fields of, of perennial grass clover mixes here. We've largely eliminated the alfalfa. We don't have any alfalfa on our farm right now. But we we do have some fields that are, you know, fairly very poorly drained soils uh, that we do have perennials in. And those, uh, a lot of times they're doing fall seeding with those. So we would use a a spring seeded, uh, a warm season cover crop through the summer. Generally, you know, a BMR sorghum sedan, maybe a little bit of a, a hybrid brassica. And we'll take that, we'll grow that June, July. And then in August sometime when it's usually dry enough to seed a perennial, Uh, We will go ahead and do that. Uh, So we're largely using uh, a a long-term improved red clover right now, a little bit of a a large leaf ladino, meadow fescue, festololium. Uh, Those are the kind of components we're using in our perennial forages. And we're doing those primarily on heavy poorly drained ground. So it's stuff that doesn't grow um, 200 bushel corn. It's it's never going to do that unless we spent a lot of money on tiling or something. And then our annuals those then we're doing like i said in this really intensive rotation on our better ground with with corn silage corn corn for generally for corn silage
0: you mentioned which species for the annuals are you using
1: yeah so um so we're using a a two different things so in the fall uh over winter uh we would use winter small grains like uh winter triticale generally if i could get it planted early enough and uh and if it gets later if it gets into october um, then we're switching to cereal rye i have If i can get it in early enough so for us early enough is maybe labor day somewhere in the first half of september i'm also using some winter hardy annual ryegrass with the triticale and red clover and that allows us to to not only have some more diversity uh gives us a a legume component and the ryegrass uh well it's great for soil structure but it also helps extend our harvest window and, and guarantees us uh, dairy quality feed the next spring. Um, so we're going looking for more diversity in the fall, but the, the biggest challenge with us is just growing time in the fall and getting something growing. In the summer then if we're following it, so when we harvest these that's generally middle to end of May, um, and then we'll, we'll apply manure uh, and then we'll come back and, and no-till in other mixes generally we're no-tilling um, sometimes we'll do some minimal tillage if we have issues we need to take care of on a field uh, just some really vertical stuff but generally we're just we're using uh, as much no-till in a rotation as possible um, And our full season cover crop cocktail mixes uh, we're using a lot of bmr sorghum sedan grass uh, we're using italian ryegrass up here uh, planting them at the same time hairy vetch Ircine clover and red clover. Those are kind of our primary uh, species that we'll use. Uh, Sometimes we'll add other things in or change it up depending on kind of what our our timing is on planting and what our animal groups we want to feed the feed. It's pretty important that you plant a really good BMR uh, sorghum sedan if you want to feed it to, to dairy cattle. And then we'll harvest that three times through the summer so if we plant it by the first of june we'll be harvesting it right away in july then again in august then again in october then that ryegrass and clover well what happens is the, the sorghum sedan which is the warm season crop that loves heat it likes a little drier weather uh that's going to be the primary forage producer for those first couple cuttings um in july and august and then And so that's your primary forage producer, but when the weather starts cooling off and we start getting some rain, generally speaking in the fall, then the the Italian ryegrass really takes off and hopefully the clover and vetch does as well. So those last cuttings that we take in October, that becomes the dominant forage in the mix. And it also acts as a cover crop over winter. So we with that ryegrass clover-vetch mix over winter. Um, and then the next spring you can come right back and no-till corn into that if you want to. And, and you know, it's mellowed out the ground. We have this really good uh, ground cover st- soil structure uh, going on there. Uh, and so we're already, so every other year we're planting a full season cover crop and that actually carries over for the next year for us.
0: So now with so many different cover crop species that you just elaborated on, where do you source all those diverse seeds from? And, and then how do you also keep it keep the costs low to help with that cash flow that you were talking about?
1: Those species, most of them are, are pretty readily available. The, the issue in the cover crop seed market is there has been a priority towards a lower cost seed, and, and you know I can see why from a standpoint of just like needing to cover acres for the lowest cost possible. The problem with a lot of the genetics for the really cheap seed is that they're not very; they don't have great forage quality. It's usually uh, older genetics, uh, varieties that uh, maybe normally would have wouldn't be growing for forage. When it comes to things like ryegrass, there there's a prioritize uh, species that make lots of seed, you know, and and so that helps bring the seed cost down. But varieties that have lots of seed also are generally not putting much energy into forage production, and so our seed costs aren't very low in comparison to a lot of the other uh, maybe forage systems because I'm looking at stuff that actually produces lots of high quality forage. Uh, and so I guess I would encourage anybody, you know, to make sure you can get the best, if you're going to use it for animal feed and especially if it's lactating cow feed, uh, you're gonna have to use the best varieties available, not the not the cheapest ones. Um, but yeah, there's a number of seed companies in the country, uh, you know, up here in Wisconsin, in the upper Midwest, you know, we're primarily, uh, Working with Byron Seeds, uh, they're out of Indiana, um, but there's lots of, of of companies that have availability and and you know and, and pretty good lineups. But like I said, the, the probably the biggest flaw in the whole cover crop seed industry is it's really a commodity. It's become a, become a commodity, and most of the genetics are just you know really old VMS type material. Uh, and it's been prioritized on 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 seed production and and cost per pound or cost per acre. And that you know when we start talking, uh, you know an extra ten or twenty dollars an acre to go from you know a poor seed to a, a really good genetics, and then you start harvesting tons of forage off of that acre. Um, it, it's really a inconsequential uh, difference.
0: With both the the perennials and the annuals, what method do you use to seed those cover crop species?
1: We're generally uh, a grain drill. Um, we're, we have a Great Plains no-till drill. So we, we do a lot of, uh, mostly everything is drilled. Seed to soil contact, seed depth is, is really important to getting consistent stands. Uh, probably the biggest issue we face is following the triticale and the sp- ring uh, is dealing with allopathy so allopathy uh, from small grains impacts so that's put off when the small grain is dying so when you come through and if you cut it or spray it off that allopathy impacts the seedling vigor and germination of of grasses it doesn't affect legumes really but it affects grasses and the smaller the seed the more it affects it so like you can no-till corn into triticale uh, residue and you're probably not going to have much allopathy issues on but a small seed like ryegrass or sorghum sedan even can be pretty greatly affected so um we have fairly uh there's a couple ways to do it. One is to, to wait. So if, you know, it, it probably peaks out, there's maybe a week or two there where, where it's the most aggressive. So we try to leave like a 10 day window after harvest before we no-till, if we're going to no-till. Um, tillage eliminates it, uh, alleopathy, but we're trying to get away from tillage. Um, you can use a really aggressive coulter uh, On your no-till drill and that can potentially eliminate or or help mitigate the allopathy but probably the biggest thing we do is is just wait and and so having that 10-day two-week rest period that can get rid of that but that's probably our biggest challenge in this whole rotation thing is just dealing with allopathy after that small grain
0: definitely so talk through a little bit Um, why you've chosen to include some of those annual species of cover crops in your crop rotation, and are there any other species that you're considering um, adding to the mix in the future?
1: You know, the main thing we're looking for is uh you know, is forage quality and and risk reduction. So when I put these cocktail mixes together, I'm looking for for things that, you know, first and foremost, I have to be able to feed them. I don't wanna have tons of feed that that doesn't match up quality-wise to what I'm trying to accomplish. So that's probably first and foremost. And then secondarily, I'm looking for things that help with risk reduction. You know, where we are in the upper Midwest, it seems like we never have what you, consider an average year you know we're either we're either cold and wet or we're you know kind of hot and dry or um seems like weather has been a lot more variable lately where uh you know our precipitation levels might be not that much different than normal but it's coming in really large rain events and then dry periods um and so what i'm trying to do is is build uh these forage know mixes or systems that have some resilience to them so that if we get a hot dry year well at least we have sorghum sedan that likes that kind of weather or if it gets we get a cold and wet year like we did in 19 well at least we have ryegrass and clovers that love that kind of weather so it kind of pulls our floor up on our production system As far as things that I'm interested in, uh, I'm starting to use a lot more photoperiod sensitive sorghum sedan, which is more of a full season type, single cut type material. Uh, We're using a lot more of that with our heifers and dry cow uh, diets. Uh, Amazing amount of feed um, and a single cut system. Uh, So we're using uh, that, uh, a lot more of that material. And we're also, I'm really excited about BMR Pearl Millet. Uh, that's a relatively new thing. It's probably only been the last five years or so that that's been available um, in the U.S. But it uh, it does take a lot of heat to do well, and and we don't consistently get enough heat in our part of Wisconsin to make it to make it work. So I'm still looking at, at ways to get more of that growing because it's amazing quality feed and. And I'm kind of intrigued by it, but I think it's probably going to be more of a a Southern thing where it's going to work better um, in the maybe Southern Midwest or farther South.
0: Um, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today, Daniel. That is all the time that we have for today. Once again, I want to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. For all of our listeners out there, be sure to look for more information about the upcoming Spring 2021 National Cover Crop Summit. Daniel will be joining us at the Cover Crop Summit as one of our featured uh, grower speakers. So we're very excited to hear more from him about um, cover crops and how he uses them in his operation. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at CoverCropStrategies.com.